Well, what does it take to grow a company six times in like 13 or 14 years? We're going to talk all about that today. We have a fascinating guest with us, an individual who was the Biz Times CEO of the year, somebody who many of us have seen in venues like Squawk on the Street, like Power Lunch on CNBC, just a great leader of a great Midwestern company, Fortune 1000 company. We're going to talk today about the future of energy. We're going to talk about smart homes. We're going to talk about reskilling the workforce, third-party certifications, all kinds of great content with Aaron Yachfeld, who is the CEO of Generac Holdings, better known as Generac. My name is Matt Kirkner. I'm your host for the Tech Ed Podcast, and it is wonderful and a pleasure to welcome you, Aaron, to the podcast today. Thanks for having me, Matt. Welcome to the Tech Ed Podcast, where we visit with leaders who are shaping, innovating, and disrupting technical education. People who are not afraid to think differently, not afraid to try something new, all with the goal of securing the American dream for the next generation of STEM and workforce talent. You know, many of us, when we think of Generac, we think of generators, we think of standby electric power, backup power systems, but you're into a lot of different market. So for our listeners that may just think of you as a generator company, tell us a little bit about some of the different markets in which you do business. Yeah, so you're right. Generators, I think, are probably the most famous product that we're known for, legacy of the company going back over 60 years. But I would say in the last, you know, over the last decade, we've been pushing the company more towards new markets, new opportunities, new product lines. We've been using acquisitions very heavily as a way for us to accelerate our entry into those new products and new markets. Uh, primarily, we've been focused on things around energy, though, even though they're not maybe generators for emergency backup, things like energy storage, things like the solar energy production or solar power inversion, things like smart home technologies, uh, thermostatic controls, things that help us help homeowners and business owners control more of their entire energy ecosystem. So it's not just about the emergency backup power that they may need, which is obviously very important in this day and age, but it's also about how they can control the cost of the energy that they consume, in some cases control the energy they produce or the energy they store, or maybe the energy that they sell back to the grid. So it's a it's a combination of, of all of those things, and it really has put us in a, a very unique position to have a front seat to the changes that are going on out there around the nation's electrical grid and around some of these newer technologies like battery storage. And we're going to talk a lot about things like the grid. We're going to talk a little bit about the history of Generac. Boy, a company that goes back 60 years, what an incredible legacy. Uh, But in that last answer, you know, we talked so much about, I think, energy, that word. I don't even know how many times that came up. Certainly your acquisitions, your future growth centered around that market space. So in as much as Generac has an incredible legacy and incredible history in the in the businesses that you've been in, I think it's most fun to kind of look to the future, especially as we talk about the world of energy and the, and the future of energy. What do you think, Aaron, the energy company of the future looks like? Well, I think it's going to look very different from the typical utility company of today, right? This, this idea of the historical kind of legacy model, right, where you, you produce power in a centralized format with coal or with natural gas or nuclear. And it's it's then, you know, sent sometimes hundreds or even thousands of miles across lines and poles down to your meter at your home or your business. And that transaction is, you know, it's largely dictated by the terms and conditions of 
the utility company, right? I mean, they tell you what they're going to sell the power for. You don't have a lot of options to change providers. In most cases, you know, there's oftentimes only a single provider uh, in your market. You don't oftentimes have much say in what format the power takes in terms of where does, you know, does it come from your coal plant? Does it come from a nuclear plant? Does it come from a solar plant or a wind plant? There's the the sources themselves, how carbon intense were those sources and your own consumption of power. It's interesting today, our awareness of how much power we use in our own homes and businesses, really, we get that, we get informed really once a month <laughs> when we get that bill from the power company that tells us how much we used and, and how much we owe for what we used. And so the opportunity to be a better consumer of power, to involve yourself in the conservation around that, to I think have a voice at the table in terms of uh, making sure your power company is using more renewable power, right? As part of the sources that they provide, that legacy model is changing. And there's really two major forces that are pushing this change. And probably the same two forces are at the source of any major disruption going on in industry today. But those two sources are uh, technology and regulation. And so technology in this instance is coming in the form of lower cost battery storage, lower cost solar production capabilities, the ability to monitor your own power consumption, control the devices within your home with better precision, being able to turn off lights when you're not in a room, those types of things. They seem simple. Being able to use LED bulbs instead of you know, incandescent bulbs, these different technologies that are available to us, they seem, again, maybe each decision seems small, but in the aggregate, they have a large impact. So it's the technology piece. And then on the other side of that is regulation, right? So as regulation continues to push the utility companies to make sure they're they're using less carbon intense forms of energy to produce power, whether it be large format wind uh, plants or, or solar plants or biogas, or, you know, there's a lot of forms that can take. Uh, regulation is driving the need to do that. And if power companies aren't able to do that, obviously regulation is telling them, okay, if you have a coal-fired plant or something that's using a fossil fuel, you've got to retrofit that plant to try and create the cleanest possible emissions using the best available technology possible. There's a cost to that, right? So those regulations are driving costs higher. They're driving different decisions. They're driving different outcomes. And then technology, as I mentioned before, is having an outsized impact on that. So you put those two forces together. And so the power company of the future, to answer your question, definitely looks different. It's going to be more reliant on less carbon intense forms of power generation. Uh, you're going to see more decentralized power. So what I mean by that is power that's produced and consumed in a more local format. So much closer to the source where it's consumed, you want to produce the power so you don't have losses across transmission and distribution lines. There's going to be an increased importance on the reliability of that power. Uh, we've all we're living in a day and age where power outages are not just an inconvenience, right? It's much, much more of a problem for people when power goes out, and much more of a problem for businesses when power goes out. So, this idea of a power grid that's going to be more decentralized, more decarbonized, much more digitized, right, with technology, is the power grid of the future. And power companies that embrace those those kind of three Ds are the power companies that. Uh, you'll see, you know, five, 10, 20 years out. Yeah, you know, it really fascinates me how some of the trends in the greener economy, some of the macro trends that we see affect different spaces. And as you know, I spent my career in manufacturing. You're certainly a, 
a manufacturing person in your own right as well. You know, we've talked for a long time about moving production closer to the point of consumption and reducing that kind of waste. And, and you're saying basically the same kind of trend is taking place in the world of energy is how do we create the source of the energy, the production of the energy and move it closer to the point of consumption. Another trend is just the, the voice and the power of the consumer and how you know in the last 15, 20 years, the information that consumers have at their fingertips that maybe they didn't have 15, 20 years ago. You're right. Even in manufacturing, I remember a few surprises. I was thinking about one back in the early 2000s. I don't know if you remember all the volatility in the natural gas markets back then. Just some huge shocks when you know when you would get your, your gas bill at the end of the month and everything else we do, we kind of do in real time. So interested in to see those trends manifesting themselves in your market, certainly regulation and and with concerns around the environment, concerns around uh, carbon, uh, no question that that's going to have an influence, a, a huge influence. And then you talk about this idea of reliability, which is where I want to go now. You know, we can just think of stories in the last couple of years, blackouts on the East Coast, what happened in Texas over the course of the last year, California. There's a real concern, is there not, about the sustainability of our, our power here in the United States and around the globe? How do you think technology, Aaron, is going to enable us to sustain the power grid of the future? It's a fascinating question, and it's an important question. I was on a panel recently where we were discussing you know, energy costs and some of the potential threats to businesses with rising energy costs. And, and I actually pivoted the question to the point of reliability. I actually think the real cost is in an unreliable electric grid, right? I mean, it's one thing to say you're going to pay more per kilowatt hour of power. That is one, obviously, that's, a, that's an important element. But it's an even bigger element to know that your source of power is going to be continuous and your supply will not be interrupted. Because as soon as you have an interruption of power, especially if you're a business, you know, you're interrupting processes, you're interrupting your revenue streams, you might be spoiling inventory. There's a lot of consequences from you know, an unreliable power grid. And the same is true, obviously, for residential customers. In today's day and age, I think what the unfortunate side effect here of having to live through this pandemic is we're all kind of working from home, right? Your reliance on a continuous source of power in your home has become greater right? Now impacts your livelihood. Whereas before, you know, again, more of an inconvenience. Maybe you spoil some food in the refrigerator if, it, if the outage lasts a long time. You worry about obviously protecting your property with you maybe have a sump pump that might not run, those types of things. Those were the obvious things that would happen when you'd have an outage before. But now you're talking about interrupting your potential livelihood in terms of work from home. Or if you have kids who are virtual learning, their ability to learn from home, right? We're doing everything from home. We, we've coined the phrase here, Home is a sanctuary. It's kind of one of these mega trends that we've identified that I think has become just absolutely critical to homeowners. Uh, they're very much in tune with the fact that when you have an outage today, there are all these things that, that you hadn't thought about before that become obstacles to daily life. And it's a, again, it's much more than just an inconvenience. And I think as you think about the future, even if as the pandemic fades to memory, Hopefully that'll happen sooner rather than later. Yeah, let's hope. But um, but even if that does happen, I think we've changed the way we work and learn probably forever, right? These were trends that were actually kind of happening over the last couple of decades. They were kind of grinding away, you know, telecommuting, right? Remember that terminology? We used to say telecommuting. When we talked about work from home, that seems really dated now. But but here we are today, and that's that's kind of what we're doing. I mean, and and the tools that we have, like Zoom and Teams and all these kind of video conferencing tools and, and Slack and all the tools that we use to kind of work together virtually. I think what the pandemic did is it pressure tested all that to the point where we said, you know what, we can be productive and have better balance in terms of work life. 
and not have to be in an office setting 40, 50, 60 hours a week. And kids don't have to go to school and be in a classroom every single day. So I think those tools, the technology has advanced to the point where those tools are making those things possible, but none of them work without a continuous source of power. And so we've all become very, I think, very much in tune with how important that is. And, you know, I think we're that much more sensitive to outages. And that, for us in our core business, our legacy products, that's created a tremendous amount of additional demand at the residential level and for businesses. This idea that, look, I've got to have a, a backup plan. I've got to have a way to protect power and protect my livelihood and protect all these things that I'm doing at home or in my business if the power company fails me. It's interesting to think about, you know, number one, obviously the unprecedented demand for your products, which I'm, I'm sure you're enjoying both the benefit and the challenges of. I've been in businesses where I've had the one, the problem where I didn't have enough demand for my product and that's a problem. I've had the problem where there's so much demand that I'm challenged to fill it sometimes. If I get to pick between those two, I'll pick the second one. <laughs> that's one that, that I can always find a way to solve. And, and especially in an age of supply chain disruption, uh, which I think kind of crosses over the whole discussion about the reliability of the power grid, which is we've got all these disruptions in the supply chain. We see what happens when we're disrupted in that regard. And we've also seen in many cases what happens when the power grid is disrupted. But yeah, in the wake of all of this innovation and the changing ways that people are working, becoming more and more important. You know, we had Johannes Britz, who's a very good friend of mine, the provost at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee on last year. And one of the comments that he made to me in education was he thought that the pandemic accelerated innovation in the world of higher education in about a month or two. Uh, faster than what they could have innovated in the, over the course of a decade. So uh, to your point, I think the same thing happened in terms of work-life balance and, and what I call work-life integration. We can now almost work from anywhere. A lot of silver linings coming out of the pandemic as challenging as it's been. You know, you, you talk about technology in the home, you talk about the changing energy landscape in people's residences. I want to turn now to a, an acquisition you made that I think crosses over that topic really, really well. As you suggested, your company has been extremely acquisitive the last couple of years, certainly growing organically, but also growing through acquisition into new technologies and new markets. I think the most recent one was the acquisition of Ecobee. Tell us a little, little bit about this company and this technology. What led you to that one? Yeah, Ecobee is a smart thermostat company, right? So competes with the likes of Nest and a couple others. But effectively, what they've built is it's far more than just the thermostat. We got questions initially when we did that acquisition, you know, okay, Generac, I don't really understand. You're going into thermostats? Or are you going into HVAC, uh, you know, heating and cooling? And you know, where, where are you, what, what's this acquisition all about? And simply stated, what they've developed, what Ecobee has developed is a device that, yes, it controls thermostatically the temperature in your home, heating and cooling. But what it also does is it's got learning capabilities, right? So it understands when you come home. It understands your schedules. It's got sensors built into it so that it can see you know, what room you're in, what room you're not in. And in doing that, they can help you uh, conserve energy and preserve comfort, right? So it's the balance between preserving comfort and conserving energy. And this is a really big point because almost 40 to 50% of your entire home's energy use is dictated by your furnace or your air conditioning unit. So that is the number one consumer of energy in your home. Now, that may change in the future when we all start driving electric vehicles and we come home and plug in our vehicles. But in today's world, in your home, it's an energy-hungry device. And so the ability to control that and preserve comfort is a really critical thing because 
Today, when you think about the home's energy ecosystem, you go back to where we were talking previously, you know, the, the idea of having a system that gives you the capability to maybe produce your own power off your rooftop with solar, maybe store some of that power in a battery storage unit. Maybe you also have a generator to protect against longer term outages, but then maybe you have an EcoV thermostat on the wall that helps integrate all of those different pieces of technology, all those different devices into a, a single kind of user experience for you, where you log into a single app and you're able to see how much power am I consuming right now? Maybe even down to the device level where you see how much power your refrigerator is consuming or your furnace or your electric vehicle as it's recharging. But you get to then start to prioritize and make choices around, okay, what, what do I see as most important to either pull power from the battery where I created my own power during the day for free, sensibly, and I put it in the battery, or maybe at points in the day where I can buy from the grid where it's either less expensive to avoid higher tariff costs during periods of time when the utility company is trying to force different behaviors, right? So utility companies are notorious for charging peak rate kind of tariffs when you know everybody gets home at five o'clock at night and we all make dinner, we do our cooking, our cleaning, uh, you plug in that EV and turn on that air conditioner, right? We, we want to increase comfort. You see these power spikes that happen. Well, utility companies have gotten smart over the years and to try and have you change your behaviors, they charge you more for that power to that point in the day. Well, if you could drain your battery instead of paying those rates from the utility company, you'd probably want to do that. What the Ecobee platform allows us to do is to connect all of those different devices alongside the furnace and the air conditioning units, which use so much energy. And again, balance comfort with conservation. And in doing so, help you manage your cost as well. So it's really, what we really liked about Ecobee was the technology there, the artificial intelligence, the machine learning that goes into the platform. It's much, much more than just a thermostat on the wall. And then of course, the team that we got with that, there are 500 people, they're based in Toronto, Canada, uh, the 500 engineers and people that are committed every day to developing this kind of technology and advancing it, uh, we think it's going to be a, a really important part of the future as we continue to build out our energy technology efforts here at Generac. Yeah, an important part of the future indeed. And, and congratulations on that acquisition. There's so much packed into that last answer that just really fascinates me. You know, we talk so much on this podcast about advancing smart technology, what we call industry 4.0 or industry infinity 0.0. And really, in some ways, the answer you just offered is kind of a microcosm in an individual's home of the same way that that technology is manifesting itself in the world of industry and manufacturing. You got smart technologies, smart devices, smart sensors that can think on their own, that can communicate with each other, communicating with a thermostat, and then tying into artificial intelligence and machine learning software algorithms, decision-making, and kind of coming back to a, a discussion earlier in the podcast, now putting the power in the hands of the consumer and really enabling people to understand their energy usage, to use energy as it gives them the most personal benefit, and to really make good economic decisions about how they're consuming energy and what that value add is to their life and making sure that they're matching their consumption, their expenditures with the benefits that they bring upon themselves. It's exactly where the market is going. That's exactly where society is going. And so really great things in store for you through that acquisition. And I, I want to turn that now, and as much as Ecobee is around you know, a smart thermostat and smart energy usage. You're close to this industry. I'm sure you're looking at a lot of different innovators. 
you know, what do you think in a broader sense that smart homes of the future will look like, Aaron? The idea, and you mentioned it, the idea of more control, right? For the homeowner, control is really critical. But I think it, it actually goes a step further. One of the things that, you know, the Ecobee teams are working on, of course, is in the artificial intelligence spaces and machine learning is the idea that, yes, users need more control and we can give them that control. The technology exists today to put more control in their hands. But really what you want are smart learning systems that not that you don't want user input, you need that, but the user input should come in the way of, of certain parameters. And as an example, maybe you would tell the system, hey, you know, it's okay if you want to turn my air conditioning up a few degrees when the utility or the grid operator says they're in trouble, right? They, they don't have enough power to give to everybody. So they're maybe going to have to black out whole neighborhoods or whole areas of their service territory if they can't get people to conserve by maybe turning up their air conditioning on a hot day. Well, we want the system to make some of those choices on its own, right? So, but the homeowner can say, okay, I'm okay. I like my temperature set at 72 degrees in the summertime. But you know what? I'd be okay if it went all the way up to 75 or 76. Okay, that's still, yeah, maybe it's getting a little warm, but it's not, it's maybe not even that noticeable or that uncomfortable for me. But if I'm doing my part to help the grid, and by doing your part, maybe you're even compensated for that, right? Maybe you're enrolled in a utility program with some kind of ability to get a credit on your utility bill by allowing the system to have some discretion with the temperature in your home. And it's a really kind of important point to make as the combination of some of the technologies we're talking about in the home here with some of the changes we talked about previously that are going on in the grid with technology and regulation. So the combination and the collision, if you will, of these two kind of forces, I think is really opening up some really kind of interesting opportunities to take those individual technologies in the home and use them in the aggregate for the benefit of these utilities and, and obviously for the benefit then of all the ratepayers. I mean, if, if you can have a couple thousand homes in an area be controlled to some degree by the utility and allow the temperature to go up on a hot day, maybe you don't have to black out the power to 50,000 homes in a market. So, you know, it's this idea of, you know, kind of sharing in the opportunity to conserve and you want the technology to do that. You want the technology to not have to go, you know, send a message to the homeowner and say, are you okay if we turn up the temperature a couple of degrees, right? You want it to just kind of gradually do that, maybe even without the homeowner really even knowing what's going on, but not past a couple of set points or parameters that the homeowners had input on. The smart home of the future is one where the homeowner has control. They understand what's going on. It's more real-time data, right, in terms of their consumption, maybe their generation. But it's also a system, a smart home of the future is one that, you know, will make decisions that are optimized for the current conditions, maybe without needing inputs, right? And so I think that's when you truly get to that smartest of smart homes. It's really, really fascinating to think about that combination of control of real-time data of unit using artificial intelligence and machine learning to make decisions. And yeah, I hadn't thought about it, but if I have to pick between an extra four degrees of, of heat in my home and the power grid going out, that becomes a pretty easy decision to make. Decision, right? Yeah. And we're getting closer and closer to doing that with smart technology. So really interesting technology and, and advancements, innovations taking place in this world of smart homes. I know you have your eyes on a number of other technologies, Aaron. What are some of the other innovative technologies that Generac is investing in both now and as you look to the future? Well, we continue to invest very heavily in battery storage. So, you know, aside from the residential storage investments we've made, we recently did an acquisition 
in the commercial space for battery storage. So uh, we acquired a company over in the UK uh, by the name of Offgrid, and a really interesting company that uses battery technology. Today, it's deployed primarily on construction sites. In a lot of larger cities, you're starting to see some restrictions around the uh, use of diesel engines on construction equipment. You know, obviously, pollution and climate impact are front and center for uh, for everybody today. But when you get into kind of central cities in particular, where you've got the density of population, these are really big considerations. So you're starting to see regulations show up for job sites. So if maybe you're in, uh, maybe there's a road construction project going on in London, and the city of London has some pretty strict regulations around allowing, you know, kind of diesel engine driven construction equipment to operate. What Off-Grid does, they've developed a solution that is essentially, it's a, a storage system on wheels that you can pull into a job site and you can kind of power all of your electric tools. If it's a, you know, maybe it's a set of electric, you know, construction tools, whether it's a, you know, maybe it's a compactor or jackhammer, or, you know, instead of using an air compressor run by a diesel engine, you would convert those things over to electric type of tools and you'd run them off of these battery systems for power. And so you avoid the diesel engine emissions. Now, eventually that battery pack needs to be recharged. Maybe it can be replenished off the grid, right? That's one one potential way to do that. But that move into the commercial storage area is one, we see that the heavier duty use cases for batteries are starting to present. And a lot of that is because the cost curve for batteries continues to come down. The technology continues to improve. The performance continues to accelerate. And as the technology advances, I think the use of those products will move and will continue to shift from some of the lighter duty applications more heavy-duty applications where it's possible. So that's one, I think, really good example. Another space we would point to would be, you know, I mentioned this before, but electric vehicles are a, a really important futuristic thing that's starting to become realistic, right? I mean, you know, you're hearing much more about mainstream automotive manufacturers discontinuing their internal combustion engine-driven product plans and moving over to electric product plans here and let me just add an insight to that, if I may. We had Peter Anderson, who's the Executive Vice President of Operations for Cummins, and he was on the podcast a year ago, not quite a year ago. And I had a chance to meet their, their CEO not too long before that. And he said this, and, and you'll love it. I think it touches both on the, the idea of battery storage, your comments around diesel technology in the UK and electric vehicles. Uh, what their CEO said was that the CEO who follows him will be the last one to produce an internal combustion engine. And you think about, I mean, when we think of Cummins, what do we think of, right? I mean, just big, you know, big, gigantic engines, big diesel equipment. Truck engines. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, there again, it's a convergence of a couple of different trends. Yeah, I think it's it's a really important trend, right? I think it impacts longstanding players in industries like what Cummins does to serve their customers. I mean, you've seen some of the trends impacting the auto manufacturers already, some positive, some negative, depending on where the auto manufacturers, how far they had driven forward in, in some of these technologies. But I think the more profound impact of electrification of our transportation is yet to come because today the adoption rate is still pretty small, right? We're seeing more electric vehicles on the road, but it's still primarily dominated by you know the technology of the day, which is internal combustion engines. So you think about the electrification, you think of where most people are gonna charge their vehicles, it's gonna be at home. And you're gonna come home from work and you're gonna plug your vehicle in and your vehicle is gonna charge overnight. So you have to get up and go to work the next day. That changes a lot of things. So first and foremost, it almost doubles the amount of power used at the home. 
just by that simple change of electrifying your transportation, you're no longer going to go to a gas station anymore to fill up your car. But, but that action of plugging in your vehicle will double the amount of power you use in your home, which is pretty important, right? Because it has implications on not only how much you're going to pay for your power bill going forward, but how do utilities, if, if demand, like let's say everybody switches over to electric vehicles, how are the, you know, the existing utilities and the infrastructure of the grid, how will it support that? The physical infrastructure to be able to accommodate that, it has to be upgraded. And there is a, aside from the physical infrastructure that has to get upgraded, there's a whole host of other things that will happen when we start to electrify transportation. So it has wide reaching implications. We're thinking about this in the context of what we're putting together with our portfolio of products, how we think about the home's energy ecosystem as we keep referring to it, and the impact that EV charging will have on that. So I think that that would be an area I would point to as kind of the future and technology. And this is gonna, this is gonna be something that's gonna happen over a long period of time. It's not gonna happen tomorrow or next year. It's going to happen over the next 5, 10, or even 20 years as we convert our transportation to electrical uh, vehicles. Yeah, it's going to be interesting and fascinating to watch both on the demand side and on the supply side. I didn't realize with the advent of electrification that we would literally be doubling potentially the amount of energy consumed in a, in a home. And, and to your point, the infrastructure, which is now set up for a certain amount of demand, I don't care what business you're in. If your demand doubles and your infrastructure doesn't change, you, <laughs> you have a lot of work to do. And that'll be fascinating to watch that watch that transformation. Well, what a great discussion we've had in this first part of a two-part series with Aaron Yachtfeld, the CEO of Generac, talking all about the energy ecosystem, the future of energy, smart technology in the world of energy, acquisitions in that space, supply and demand of the grid. It's just been a fascinating discussion, so much so we are going to have another great episode next week with Aaron as he joins us to talk about upskilling the current workforce, about career pathways, about leading through incredible innovation and incredible change. You won't want to miss next week's episode with Aaron Yachtfeld, CEO of Generac. Thanks so much for being with us. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Tech Ed Podcast. If you haven't already, subscribe, leave a review, and if you like this episode, share it with a friend. New episodes launch every Tuesday, so listen in next week.